Welcome to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full-time pediatrician and a full-time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. Welcome back to the Modern Mommy Doc Podcast. Today, I am like over the moon to have our guest. It is Jennifer Anderson. She is Jennifer Anderson from Kids Eat in Color. And I'm so excited to have her because I know, you know, feeding our kids, making sure they get nutritious meals in their system and not having it be a huge fight are two equally important goals for us as modern moms. So Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Okay, so let's get into it. Why do we have so many struggles with our kids around eating? Why do we need Instagram accounts of like a million followers? (laughs) 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 Yours, right? Uh, to teach us what to do in this area. Isn't feeding our kids, shouldn't that be something that's supernatural? Why is it so I feel like it should. Wouldn't it be nice? I I would love to have the same instinct that animals have that we just, you know, feed our kids what we need. I think, I think one of the reasons why we're finding feeding kids so challenging today in the modern world is because the food system has really changed over time and the parenting practices and the cultural practices that helped parents feed their kids 50, 100 years ago, actually don't fit in the world that we're in today. And so while 100 years ago, if the kid didn't eat their dinner, they would essentially either get beaten or they would die. <laughs> like that just doesn't work for us today. Yeah. That's not. That's just not going to work for us. And, and the things that even you know, the baby boomers were raised with, you got to clean your plate. You have to, you have to eat everything. We can't waste, uh, we can't waste anything. And of course we don't want to waste anything, but the idea that you have to clean your plate, that worked really well for the depression era parents, right? That's how they survived. Mm -hmm. The problem is so many of us now are really surrounded by sources of food and cheap sources of food that may not be very nutrient dense and teaching our kids to clean our plate now is actually having unintended negative health consequences. And we have to really teach our, our kids something new, right? And we're also having to struggle, right? Our kids are exposed to lots of sugary, salty, delicious things, which is awesome, but also it makes vegetables a little bit harder of a sell. So I think, I think the food world is just different and, and uh, you're not alone if you're struggling feeding your child. Yeah. Tell me if you agree with this, because I'd love to change my spiel if you have a better way to say it. But what I'm always telling people, because I, I think about how to lessen the guilt and, and make it more of like a systems problem for parents to think about like, Mm -hmm. yes, some of this, of course, is your choices that you're making within your family. But some of this is just like the way the world works. So that's setting you up kind of for failure or making it harder for you. So Mm -hmm. 
I talked about, you know, if you were living in like Southeast Asia and all you had to give your child was like rice and chicken and vegetables every day. And that's the food. Those are the foods that your child knew to eat because those are the ones that they see every single day. Then your child would eat those foods because that is what is available to your child. But man, it's hard when you know, my little daughter goes off to preschool and people have Capri Suns, you know, or whatever, you know, the, the, yeah. that, you know, um, or have little like fruit roll-ups that have absolutely no nutritional value or, you know, whatnot. We're just exposed. Our kids to it are exposed to so many more things than previous generations were. And then people even in other areas of the world are. And that when Western culture goes into other areas of the world, we see the same issues there that we do here. Yeah, exactly. They show up. You are absolutely right on, I think, from a sociology perspective and also just the reality. Um, You know, if you're homeschooling your kids and they have a very tight-knit community with other homeschool parents who share the same food values, you may have a lot more control over your child's diet than um, you know, those of us who send our kids to preschool and daycare and, you know, you can't always bring your own food to daycare. (laughs) So there's, there's a lot of these, a lot of these issues, or maybe you're in an area where there literally is no fresh food. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, so what, I mean, (laughs) there's a reality, like, what do you have to eat in your area? That is going to be where you're starting with your food environment. Yeah. Yeah. For and sure. I, I do agree. Like we really are set up not to have a lot of success in this area yeah. from like a Western U S American perspective. Now there are U S American cultures that um, are, do have a really deep nutrient dense food culture. Uh, but as far as dominant culture goes, it's, it's a lot of um, it's not always that way. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, and then also right. Our lives, especially we had a lot of working moms that are listening to the, this podcast. You know, I know I was really proud of myself when I had just one kid and I was home half the time during the week. And, you know, I would, <laughs> I was like really in charge of what she was eating. And, and then once I had another kid and I was working full time and things got a lot busier, it would, you know, it, it, it just was more difficult. I used to be so <laughs> proud that she would eat, um, eel rolls from the sushi place, mm-hmm. you know, as like a right. <laughs> one and a half year old. And now she's like, oh, it's gross. Disgusting. <laughs> you know, because I didn't keep it going. So, right. Yeah. I know it's hard. We, we work so hard to get our kids to a place and, and we're intentional and we, we try. And then all of a sudden, you know, throw a pandemic in there. <laughs> My kids, yeah. you know, they're like, ew, they're complaining about food. I'm like, whatever happened to the rule? Like we don't complain about food. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but you know, That's frankly, good. I agree. Like, you know, I don't even care anymore. So go ahead, complain about food. Let's deal with that when the world opens up again. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so let's break it down into a couple pieces. Um, because I think there are different places in a parent's mind, like different stages, right? When they think about food. Um, when when I'm seeing parents in clinic and they're just starting solid foods, parents tend to be super invested in, mm-hmm. like you said, making sure that the food is as nutritious as possible. So what can parents do in the very beginning? And I want to say, so I'm talking about like four, six months mm-hmm. on to help their kids have a healthy relationship with food. Most important to me. 
And then mm-hmm. B, of course, to get nutritious foods in their in their child. But yeah. what are kind of the foundational things that parents should be doing at that age? Yeah, I think there's two things. I think there's um, age appropriate variety. And when I say age appropriate, I really mean what's safe. You're not going to be giving your kids choking hazards for variety. That's not safe. That's not a good practice. The other thing is really learn how to feed your child responsibly. And what that means is you are able to listen to your child's cues of whether they are willing to accept food right now or they're not. There's even at the age of four to six months, they are still responsible for deciding whether they're going to eat and how much they're going to eat. And your job as a parent is to really tune into that. And then um, and then combining that with accepting your role as the parent, which is I'm the parent. I'm going to be deciding what to feed my child now and from this point on with obviously as kids get older, you know, they get more independence, but especially through the toddler years, like my toddler is not going to be in charge of their diet. Um, I am the person who's in charge of my child's feeding environment. And I find there's, there's this one point that parents really struggle with during that transition from liquids to solids. And that is on liquids. We feed on demand for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, a baby, you know, they're the, they're just learning their hunger and feeding cues. So we want to, you know, honor their hunger cues. And when they're showing that they're hungry, you know, and obviously there's some cases where kids are fed, you know, on a routine basis, which is fine too. Sure. But, yeah, um, if they're underweight or whatnot. Yeah, yeah. There's lots, there's lots of reasons that there's um, multiple rec- recommendations for how this stuff goes. Mm-hmm. But then when we move to feeding solids, we move right into a feeding schedule or routine. Does it have to be the exact time every single day? No, it doesn't. But we want to have a routine. You're not, you're not transitioning them to whenever you show absolutely any sign of hunger, I'm going to feed you a snack. We're transitioning into solid foods are available at routine times during the day. And they're not available at other routine times during the day. We're not playing and eating. We're going to eat and then we're going to go play. And I find that is a tricky transition for a lot of parents. And so by the time they get to the toddler years, the toddler is just eating absolutely all day long, which is not an evidence-based practice. And I'm, I'm finding there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of pushback against this idea of feeding routinely. And I think it's because there's a lot more awareness of intuitive eating as a intervention for moms and dads who are recovering from diet culture. And as part of that therapeutic practice, they may need to eat whenever they feel a sense of hunger to regain those cues. But what we're doing with kids, now the reality is kids grazing increases cavities. it It generally decreases their nutritional intake. And it also is associated with kids either eating too much or not enough. There's no evidence that supports this idea that kids should be eating every hour or two. So we really need to focus on moving kids like right as they eat, we're going to start feeding one meal a day and maybe decide that's lunch or dinner or breakfast or whatever. And then as they go, they begin to add more meals, but these are discrete formal eating times. And why does the research show that over time, because I, I can see how parents get caught up in like whatever's happening for their own 
quote unquote diet, people can't see my air quotes, but, but you know, for, <laughs> for their diet, but they're doing the same thing, you know, like they're like, I'm on a keto, yeah. so I'm going to give my kids like only protein, yeah, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or whatever. That's like, true. <laughs> oh my gosh. Can, can you explain for people? Because, um, uh, you know, I know this from my medical training, but I think it'd be helpful for people to understand, like, why is it that our kids need to eat in that more regular schedule? Um, mm-hmm. And also, like, why is it so important that they're having diversity in their diet and not yeah. just like one or two different food groups? Right. Okay. So, so many good questions there. First, <laughs> you're bringing me back to the moment that I got in one of my question boxes on Instagram. I got a question that said, should I wane my baby to a keto diet? Um, and the answer is no, no, please. <laughs> yeah, please don't, please do, don't that. do that. Um, now, you know, the, the one exception is if your child has epilepsy and you're working with a medical professional to address that. Um, but no, The thing is, we are seeped in diet culture all around us. Um, There's so much weight stigma and and everybody focuses on how do you lose weight? We got to lose weight. We got to lose weight. It's perpetuated by the medical system. It's all around us. And we're just kind of swimming in this diet culture soup. And it it trickles down. Like I, I recently launched this Affordable Flavors meal plan and it has nutrition information in the back. Um, This is helpful for families who have medical issues and they need nutrition information to help take care of themselves. And I had one person tell me, you know, I am very disappointed that this particular recipe is so calorie dense. And I thought, oh, my gosh, like we're feeding children. How do you expect your kids to learn? How do you expect your kids to grow if they don't have calorie dense foods when they need them? I just felt I felt really sad, like. You know, our kids need energy and they need variety. So moving on to your variety question, mm-hmm. as um, as people, we have a variety instinct that pushes us to eat a variety of foods. What's good about this is it helps our, our growth and development and survival. Uh, it helps us get all the nutrients that we need. We need a lot of nutrients and there's lots of places we can get them. We can get them from animal products, plant products grains, like, you know, there's so many different things, but the more variety we can help our children learn to eat, the greater the likelihood that they're going to get all the nutrients that they need to grow and develop. And so that's why it's so important. And that's why we do care if your child is eating fruits and vegetables, because the reality is if your child is not, and this is not judgmental in any way, because a lot of us are struggling with this, even I struggle with this. this is why I became a specialist in this area because feeding kids has not been easy to me for me. But, um, you know, if your kid is not eating the fruits and vegetables, we need to know because you really do need a supplement at that point. Um, mm-hmm. unless you're having some sort of fortified food that's providing vitamin C or, you know, some sort of something, right. Yeah. Yeah. But there are these real nutritional concerns alongside, Hey, by the time our kids are 18, 20 out of the house, hopefully, <laughs> um, <laughs> then we want them to be able to eat a variety of foods we want them to be able to go out to dinner and eat and we want go over to somebody's house and eat what's provided we want them to be competent eaters by the time they grow up and that foundation really starts now it's coming our new book will be here before you know it the working mom blueprint 
comes out May 11th, 2021. We hope you'll grab your copy. It's available for pre-order right now at amazon.com and it will be available May 11th wherever books are sold. Let me dig in for just one second because I want to get to the picky eating part, which I know people are probably like, hurry up, talk about that. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it's important to to go back to the thing about the, in the medical community, this perpetuation of diet culture, because um, I want to be like honest and transparent about that from my perspective of my, of my clinic. And, you know, I, I remember before I had kids um, counseling someone in, in my office about, it was a kid, the girl who was overweight and really like, I, I just like, didn't know what I was doing. Cause I didn't have kids and I wasn't thinking about like whole person health. This is very mm-hmm. early on in my career. And I remember the, the mom emailing me back and saying like, you know, thank you so much for your like medical recommendations on what she needs to be eating. And also like, this is a like, tricky time in our lives this is a tricky time in her like adolescent Mm -hmm. development and like no thank you I Mm -hmm. I care more about what's happening for for her in terms of her body image as she gets older than I do actually what she's eating at this exact moment I care about that too but I care about this other thing Mm -hmm. way more so if you could change your approach that'd be good and now that I have my own kids I mean I quickly did do like a deep dive reassessment and changed a lot of things that was like 10 years ago but now that I have my own kids and I see my daughter in the past uh, six months, she she gained like an extra five pounds from no activity during the pandemic. She has an anxiety disorder. Uh, we we did, unfortunately, a little too much like, well, let's take a walk and we'll go to the like cafe and get a hot chocolate. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like a lot of those, a lot, a lot of those un- unfortunate uh, uh uh, bribes or food associations that I know you you don't uh, think are good and I don't either but you know hey, like, we're humans here right <laughs> <laughs> exactly and um as I see her I am like reminding myself about the messages that I give her and the way that I talk to her and the way that I talk about myself and my own body are so powerful about how she thinks about herself right now as a seven-year-old, but then also how, when she is my age, when she's 40, you know, way on down the line that I do not want her to have these constant messages inside her head or these constant reevaluations of herself all day long Mm -hmm. where she's thinking about her body and what is her weight and does she look okay and whatever. And so I think that is one thing as moms that um, and and dads, but as moms, that it, it is really up to us to try to kind of flip the switch and be thinking about um, when we talk to our kids, um, you know, uh, making sure that we are careful about focusing on whole person health and taking yeah. on some of these tips you're about to give us, right? Yeah. Um, so that our kids have number one, a healthy association with food and, and with themselves and with their bodies, as opposed to like the perfect weight. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. I love, yeah. I love that you were open to the advice that that mom gave you and kudos to that mom for taking that step, which mm-hmm. you know a lot of people don't want to say negative things to their doctor, because yeah. obviously you're the expert, you have all this information, but the reality is like, there are studies documenting weight stigma among medical professionals. And the fact yeah. you are willing to listen really puts you in the minority. Many, I 
I've found this year, especially many parents are being told that they need to put their child on a diet. Um, Two-year-olds, four-year-olds, six-year-olds, <laughs> yeah. teenagers, I, you name it. Pediatricians are recommending weight loss to children. That is not an evidence-based practice. In fact, even the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends against weight talk, especially with the adolescents. Yep. Talking about a child's weight really predisposes them to an eating disorder. That is just a fact. And um, or disordered eating, both of which are yeah. are bad. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in fact, eating disorders have the highest rate of mortality of any mental illness. I think the fact that we are treating the fact that doctors are really just throwing around things like, oh, go go on a diet, lose weight. They're, they're causing harm in that instance. And if you look at the data, you look at the actual data, like if a person is put onto a weight loss diet, what is their health status going to be in two years? Well, the research shows that they're going to be at a worse health status in two years than if they had never gone on a diet. Yep. I, I think we need more doctors like you who are saying, we need to stop this. We need to stop this and we need to actually assess you know, we need to refer out, right? Yeah. We need to refer to someone who has the time to assess and say what's going on at home. Because if someone has a really big jump in weight, it doesn't mean we should ignore that and just say, oh, it's fine. Right. Because it might not be fine. Usually that's a symptom of something that's happening. Now, it yeah. might just be a child meeting their growth trajectory. And that's it. It literally is completely fine. And there's, there's nothing wrong. It could also be a sign that a child is not being cared for at home. It could be a yeah. sign that they lost a parent. It could be a sign that they don't have enough food at home. It, there's so many things that it could be. And I think we have to find a way to get kids assessments that actually assess their situation that don't just focus on their weight. Like what is the point of focusing on weight? I mean, yeah. <laughs> we just, it does, so not helpful. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So, I mean, what's the takeaway, you guys, for listeners? I think it's just to advocate for yourselves, right? Yeah, you know, and if, your child. If, and your child. If you are in an office and you're feeling like, man, I'm feeling, um, I'm feeling kind of like belittled here, or I'm feeling mm -hmm. like this is not um, actually helpful for my child, or I'd, I'd like to move this conversation offline with this professional, yeah. that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, and, and then I think also, yeah, thinking about your own worries um, around weight for your kid and, mm -hmm. and um, working with whoever you need to work with to, um, to not project your own body image issues on, on your yeah. kids. As well. I, I would say most of us have body image who grew up in the past 50 yeah. years because we weren't even aware, you know, it's just like, oh yeah, let's talk about dieting. Everybody's talking about dieting. Who even knows, right? And it's only in recent years that we've had some some pioneers in the field of dietetics and medicine to say, you know what, we can actually develop new ways of thinking about this that aren't as detrimental, that actually help us in the long term. I actually recommend that people, if they if they're concerned that their doctor is going to try to talk about weight with their child, they can actually write a little note card ahead of time and give it to the nurse or the doctor that basically just says, I'm, I don't want to discuss about weight with my child, but I am willing to discuss like a growth trajectory. I'm, I'm willing to discuss. I just don't want it to focus on weight and I'm willing to talk about referrals um, so yeah. that you're not shutting your doctor down because your child may, may have a health concern, right? Yeah. But 
it doesn't mean we need to be talking about weight in front of our kid and telling them that there's something wrong with their weight. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, people do that uh, with me all the time. And I appreciate that where they'll say, like, write me a little email before the visit or just um, I usually pull people aside with it's a teenager before the visit to say, like, hey, I am concerned about what's going on. But if we can talk about it in this way or, you know, couch it, I want, mm-hmm. let me see the data. But um, let I really want to not bring it up in front of him or her. And that's helpful for me because then right. I know, um, you know, how, how to how to guide the, the conversation. Right. right. Yeah. Um, OK, so let's talk about because I feel like this is the, the focus on on all of your information. Let's talk about oh, as kids get a little bit older and they're out of that baby stage and they have more exposure to the world, like we talked about, how do we a prevent kids from being um, picky eaters or help them, I want to say more globally, help them to develop a healthy relationship with food? And what are a few tips, things we can do if we see our kids kind of heading down that path of being super duper selective about the foods that they'll eat? Yeah. So tip number one is don't give up exposing them to the foods you want them to eat long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Your kid may not eat the collard greens right now. Mm-hmm. It's just a fact. <laughs> they might be a little <laughs> bit bitter. They might not like them. They might be green. And that's unfortunate <laughs> for that child or whatever. But but the reality is they need to continue to see that forever. I don't people ask, well, when can I just say, oh, the kid doesn't like it? Why would you give up? Like, don't give Mm -hmm. up. Because I didn't learn how to like some things until college, but I was exposed to them for years, for 20 years. And that is what enabled me to learn to like it. So I just, uh, just a best practice is really never give up. Don't stop feeding your child family food because right now they're really into nuggets. We real it's it's so easy for us to fall into this trap of oh they only eat nuggets so I will only serve nuggets. We have to turn that around and say yeah, yeah. Our kid, my kid loves nuggets right now but I'm not going to serve them every day because I need to help them keep that variety. Now about yep. 25% of kids are going to have a real feeding problem that is going to present a nutritional challenge and really um, really give you a run for your money. Your kid may go from eating a hundred foods to, to 20 foods to even five foods, right? Can you prevent all picky eating? I know I, a lot of people make this claim. I don't think it's true to the literature and I don't think it's true to reality. I think there's a lot you can prevent, but I think there's quite a few things that you actually cannot prevent. You can't prevent mm-hmm. if your child has a sensory processing disorder, or if they just have like a more extreme sensory system, you cannot prevent that. What you can do is structure your environment at home to help manage that picky eating and help them become competent eaters. Are they ever going to be adventurous eaters? Well, I mean, maybe, but maybe not. Right. We can't really control that. But what you can control is what you're doing at home, what you're serving at home, how you're talking about food at home. And the more positive your environment and the less you cater to your child while also always providing something that they're comfortable with, the more you can balance that, the more it doesn't give your child that much space to go down the hill of, and now I only eat five foods. 
right? Right. That's what right. we want to avoid. Now, if you find yourself there, there is absolutely, I have absolutely no judgment for you whatsoever. This stuff is so difficult. It's tricky. It is, doesn't come naturally. Um, it's not intuitive at all. So, but you know, we have access to a lot of really child-friendly foods out there. We have the chicken nuggets, we have the French fries, we have the tater tots, you know, we have the dino nuggets, we have all that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But when we kind of take this idea into our minds that our kids just need kid food, then we start to fall off the cliff of And next thing I know, they're only eating chicken nuggets. Doesn't mean you can never feed your kid a chicken nugget. I'm not anti any food, really. Um, But it doesn't mean that we need to be intentional about adding something onto the side of a chicken nugget as we're able to and as we have access to more foods. It's like, yeah, I serve chicken nuggets, but I also serve a salad out of a bag. Or I also put some canned peas on the side. Or I also made some frozen broccoli. Or I also made some fresh carrot something, you know, whatever it is, we are continuing to expose our kids over and over and over, over time to help manage their tendencies toward picky eating and also to help prevent what we can. Yep. Okay. I love that. And I think, you know, it also speaks to financially for people when people have been left out to eat, but previously when people go out to eat and on the kid menu, what's on there that's Mm -hmm. cheaper Mm-hmm. it's the chicken nugget, it's the pizza, it's the, you know, chicken mm-hmm. tender, whatever. And so I think also that a lot of times is this tendency of like, okay, well, I'm going to get the thing that's easy for them. I want to enjoy my meal and mm-hmm. it's a lot cheaper for me. And so what I hear you saying is, okay, if you're going to do that, then get something off your plate to put on there as well, or maybe focus on it more when you're at home, you know, where you have a little bit more control over things that you can that offer but it doesn't have to be all or none that you're not giving yeah, like any right. of those foods. And so, you know, that it can be a slow progression yeah. <laughs> over to healthier foods. And that the most important is just continuing to have exposure so that mm-hmm. kids find that more normal, that they're going to see those foods uh, be around those foods. Exactly. I think that's so important. And, and, you know, there are options when you go out. Um, when we used to go out, well, the kids were really little. I mean, my kids don't eat very much when we go out because it's just too <laughs> exciting. Over, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, oh my gosh, we're out of the house. Uh, therefore, we don't eat anything. And then I have to make you dinner when we get home. Um, <laughs> but we would just feed the kids right off our plate. Like whatever we got, we yeah. would just give them. I mean, they were only eating eight bites of food anyway, so why not? Um, and then now we have two. So this worked for us. We just order a meal and split it between the two of them. Um, and that way it was actually still affordable and, um, good, but then they, they got just whatever off the, off the adult menu. You don't always have to, to get something off the kid's menu. Now, now they're a little bit older and they kind of choose whatever they want, which is generally off the kid's menu. (laughs) Are there pancakes? Okay, I want pancakes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) With bacon, please. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay, talk to me about safe foods, like Mm -hmm. a safe food or foods that they are comfortable with. Because I know this is a really big thing that you you chat about Mm -hmm. on on your channels. Talk to me about that. So I think this is really, really important. A child should never come to the table and see all foods that they don't like. Not to say that's never going to happen in life, <laughs> but a, a child, especially a picky child, should never come to the table and feel like there's nothing here that I could eat. 
-hmm. Instead, they should be able to come to the table and know there's at least one thing on the table that they're allowed to eat as much as they want of that is something that is acceptable to them. And that might be the rolls. It might be the bread. Um, let's not forget that bread and rolls do have nutrients in them. I get a lot of parents <laughs> are like, oh, bread is nutrient-less. So I'm like, what? I, that's not true. But um, yeah. there's a lot of like, again, diet culture just kind of seeps in. Bread is bad. Like bread has kept a lot of kids alive for a lot of years and years. So yeah. I wouldn't say bad things about bread, frankly. Um, you know, same for tortillas or the rice or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like those foods have kept picky kids alive for centuries. Don't be saying bad things about, mm -hmm. about you know, simple carbohydrates or complex carbohydrates for kids. Uh, so, so yeah, kids should be able to come to the table because if they don't, they're immediately going to have an anxiety response. As mm -hmm. soon as they have an anxiety response, their saliva production is going to go down. Their digestive juices are going to decrease. They are going to um, have less of an experience of taste. They're going to basically go into fight or flight response in their body. All that entire response is associated with more picky eating. So while parents come to the table and they think, oh, well, if, if, if my kid is only given the options of the healthy foods that I want them to eat, and you're making meals like, I don't know, it's like raw kale salad with like, I don't know, so like all these things. And, yeah. and you have this yeah. some ideal, my kid is just going to eat raw kale salad all the time. Not to say that doesn't happen, but <laughs> wouldn't say it's a standard. Um, so you just have, in, if that's all, if they're hungry, they will eat. And a lot of, there's some pediatricians who recommend like a starve it out method. Like, well, they won't starve themselves to death. Of course, we know that's not true in the feeding right. world. There are plenty of kids will actually end up in the hospital dehydrated and without any nourishment because they will starve themselves to death. Mm -hmm. um, and you essentially increase picky eating. So instead of doing that, I, I really recommend coming to the table with a different mentality, not of I have to make sure that my child eats all these nutrients, otherwise I'm a bad parent or I'm being disrespected, or I don't have any control over my child. But instead thinking, my job is to create a balanced meal, to put it on the table, and to make sure that everyone at this table feels welcome. Your picky eater feels welcome. You have a partner, your partner feels welcome. Your other child feels welcome. Everybody should have a food there that is generally acceptable. Now, does that yeah. mean your picky eater will always eat the safe food? Absolutely not. I mean, kids are kids, right? You, I don't know what my kids are going to eat on any day. And there might be meals where you make a food that you think is safe and your child is like, I don't like that anymore. I think that food is disgusting. In which case, fine. They can wait until the next meal or snack. You don't have to go make something special again. You did the best you could. And that's fine. Just because you have safe food does not guarantee that your child is going to do what you want. <laughs> I mean, we just have to look at the reality of like, what do kids do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they so need to have, you need to be putting forth an effort to help them get the nutrients that they need through foods that they like. And, and, and here's the, here's the flip side of this. When the child does feel comfortable, when they do feel that, that they know they have that safety of being able to fill up on bread, guess what? They start to eat all the other foods at the table. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. where your reward comes in over time. Yeah. Yeah. That they're relaxed, that they know that this is not a high pressure system. I mean, think about 
fight or flight is like someone is chasing you with an axe through a forest. You are not going to be hungry in that situation. <laughs> You're going to go running. And so that's what Jennifer's talking about is this idea of when you create this fear response for your kids, then they literally in their brain shut down eating because eating is the least important thing to do when you are in danger. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's super smart. And it just makes sense. That's just body biology. The the other thing that I've seen you on um like a little meme that you put on your feed was about like cookies or like the dessert or the treat at the end and where you know if a kid's like, I want a cookie, like I want the cookie first. And that our response as parents might be for things that are sweet or desserts or treats to be like, nope, you need to eat all of this food first and then you can have the treat. But you talk about a different way to approach this, which I have done with my kids and worked wonder. So tell me about that right. too. Yeah. I, I, there's no rule out there that says you have to be at your kid dessert last. In fact, it causes a lot of problems. It causes kids to fixate on dessert. It's often used as a reward. And again, when you're rewarding your kid to eat broccoli, what are you really telling them? You're saying this broccoli is bad and this dessert is good. And the more you reinforce that idea, the worse broccoli is, and the better dessert is. And so you end up doing the opposite of what you intend to do, which is to help kids really learn to love broccoli. Instead, when you serve a small child-sized portion of dessert alongside the broccoli on the plate, sure, they eat the ice cream. Maybe they'll eat the ice cream first. Maybe then they'll have a temper tantrum because you say, you know, that's all the ice cream that's available for that meal. Right. But over the course of several weeks of continuing when you do serve, and some people use fruit in this way or whatever, the more you do this consistently, the more that that kids are like, oh, okay, well, I know I'm not going to get more of that. And they stop having those temper, temper tantrums. And then they also sometimes will miraculously start eating the broccoli first because mm-hmm. all of a sudden the ice cream is not that special. One, because it's, it shows up semi-regularly. And two, because it's just it's just there and the broccoli is just there. And they can choose whether to eat the broccoli or not and choose whether to eat the ice cream or not. And it just takes all the drama way down. A lot of times you could see kids who are saving room for dessert. Now that I think that as I think that's a really good skill on their part. They don't Mm -hmm. want to overeat. They're like, do I have room for this or not? I I want Mm -hmm. to eat the dessert. Why not just bring it to the (laughs) front of the meal? Yeah. And they're really the only ones who know how hungry and how full they are. You as a parent actually don't know that. Yeah. You may be able to identify low blood sugar and things like that. Sure. But you actually don't know how much food is going to fit, fill your child up. And by putting it on the plate at the same time, you're really giving your child the ability to listen to their body because they're not, they don't have this external complication of like, oh, but I have to save room for dessert or I have to overeat to get dessert. And by putting it on the table, you reinforce the message that, hey, you're the kid, you understand your own body and you know when you're hungry and full and you know how much to eat for yourself. Both lifelong um, gifts that we can get to our kids. Yeah. I mean, and that's part of that Ellen Satter division of responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. Like a kid is responsible, has some responsibility for, and needs to have responsibility and control over how much of something, or if they eat something when they're, when they're at a meal. 
Um, and that also, I mean, I think that also brings us back to this like diet culture idea, right? Of like deprivation. Anytime you deprive yourself or deprive a kid of something, of course they want it more, right? right. And when they yeah. get it, that they're going to have more of it <laughs> because it's a fixation. Right, yeah. right. Exactly. Um, okay. And then your Instagram is called Kids Eat in Color and you talk a lot about presentation. So how much does presentation of a meal matter, colors, shapes of foods? What can parents do on, on that end? Because I'm always telling people, like, look at her side by sides of you might be thinking about offering this, think about offering this. Right. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of, there's, you know, we can kind of get into this, oh my gosh, I have to create food art every day. Sure. I mean, if you like food art, go for it. It's fun. I, you know, when my kid was first in preschool, I made cute little inches and that was fun for me. And so yeah. it was cool. Now, did it also help my kid who tended to not eat enough actually sit long enough to eat? Yes, it did. And that was a really important tool in my toolbox. Mm-hmm. Is that going to be, do you have to do that? No, you absolutely don't. But when there is an element, when there is color on the plate, you're reinforcing the idea that, hey, we eat things that are colorful. <laughs> we also, um, we see variety, like the more colors you have, the more variety, the more nutrients you have. And and it also gives us an opportunity to um, kind of intrigue us. I mean, as humans, we are interested in color. Now, some kids become very color defensive and they are like, Oh, if it's green, all these green things I don't like. Sure. Um, so that can be an issue, but for a lot of kids, you know, when you put colorful things on the plate, it looks pretty and that makes us want to eat it more. So I think presentation could be another tool in your toolbox as a parent to intrigue your kid. I mean, the number of parents who have made fun of cutting food into shapes, myself included. I, when I was, you know, didn't have kids, I was like, I will never. Sure. Um, but you know, three years later, I was like, yep. Oh, I'm going to try this. And guess what? My kid ate anything and cut into any shape. And, and I became a champion of cutting food into shapes because you know what? It was an incredibly helpful tool for me. Now yeah. do my, are my kids super into it now? Eh, sometimes, but sometimes they're not. And that's fine. I mean, believe me, you're not going to be like cutting your middle schoolers apples into stars. I mean, it really is. <laughs> it only works yes. like a certain yes. age. And, you know, some kids are never into it. But other kids, it just really helps get them over the hump and into trying new foods, which is just yeah. so helpful. Yeah, I love it. Okay, you guys. So these very small tips and billions of others on (laughs) (laughs) on Instagram from Ms. Anderson and the the reason that I honestly I mean and this is like shameless plug because you know you and I we are doing this podcast but it's not like I'm getting like you know some affiliate thing from you I really just genuinely (laughs) like your information but um you know the, the reason that I recommend you is because a the information is solid but b because uh you know I I feel like I've recommended books in the past families. And I know as a, as a parent that I don't have time to sit and read tons of books about nutrition for my kids. Um, and also that to make it stick, having a visual or watching a video these days, that is the way that I can remember, Oh, this Mm -hmm. little tip that came up. And so if you guys want quick, actionable steps to help your kids 
be in love with food or at least have less picky eating and get on the road to having a really healthy relationship with food, check out at Kids Eating Color on Instagram, Jennifer Anderson. Or Facebook or TikTok. Or Facebook, or yeah. Wherever you like to be, we'll make it meet you there. Pick your poison. Pick your social media yeah, poison. Right. That's right. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for being here. It's so wonderful to be here. you want more of the Modern Mommy Dog podcast, make sure that you click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd also be so honored if you shared with your friends and on social media with the hashtag Modern Mommy Dog. If you share about something that inspired you or that you learned from the podcast, we'll be sure to share it on our social media as well. Thanks for listening.